This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either... You are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I don't know if you need to turn your headphones down today. I don't have any Prosecco in my system. I'm taping this episode on Thursday at 11.51. I am sober and in my home. I'm feeling good, feeling great. I have not been to the gym yet, though. I'm not as fired up as I was last week. I know some people might find that disappointing, but I'm like, I can't be on 10 at all times. I brought it down to a nine. I still got some razzle dazzle this week. I tell you what, I'm so sick of talking about Will Smith. I mean, we're going to have to talk about him, but that slap is dominating the news cycle. I feel like I haven't talked about, read about, heard about anything else but that slap since Sunday night. I'm like, are Russia and Ukraine still at war? I, I literally haven't heard a peep about Ukraine, about COVID, about Jenny Thomas, Clarence's wife. And the huge ethical violations that are going on in the Supreme Court. We're going to have to talk about that. I mean, I know some folks just totally want to talk about Will. My brain can't take it. I have to, like, venture out into other topics. Not even other deep topics. Because a lot of our podcast today is just, I mean, a lot of it is Will. But also, it's just, like, ratchet. Just ratchet shit. People stay just being inappropriate and losing their damn minds. Speaking of losing my mind, I am obsessed with Partisan Fontaine. That's an amazing name, by the way. Better known as Party, a.k.a. the Megan's boyfriend. Just scrolling on Instagram all the time, everyone's using that song. If you're a black girl, 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 if you're a black girl. That shit gets me so hyped. I don't know. I feel like I'm like like at at a black power rally. I love that shit. I had to go find the song because I, I'm obsessed with like black girl, black girl, black girl. And I was like, where is this from? What is this song? So I go find the song. It's called Hoop Earrings. And the opening verse is, all my bitches got hella ass and flat stomach. I'm like, okay, you're not talking about me. Like, I got a little ass now, but my tummy is not flat. Short of when I was vegan for a few years, like, I've always had some tummy. It just is what it is. I'm too damn old to be listening to songs where it's like, bitches, 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 every other word. Like, I can't. I just can't. But then I'm listening to the lyrics. (laughs) Your boy is talking about... (laughs) And I was like, well, shit, I can't be so mad. You know, he talking about like, bitches, bitches, bitches. But he also talking about eating you out from the back and rubbing your feet at the same time. And I'm like, oh. Or hitting it from the back and licking your sweat off. And I was like, oh, maybe I can't be so mad. (laughs) If you're a black girl, 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 if you're a black girl. I don't want to love it like I do, but I do. My feminist lips and ratchet hips. I can't help it. And ain't really trying to change, to be quite honest with you. (sighs) I want to be a better person. What's going on in good black news? We need some good black news. I told you I don't feel any ways personally responsible for Will Smith. I don't think that his actions are a reflection on the black race. And still, talking all day about a black man slapping another black man. And then the possibility of another black man trying to kick another black man out the award show, which he should have been ejected. But we're not talking about that yet. We're not talking about that yet. Can we talk about Lizzo? Lizzo is releasing a shapewear line. It's called Yitty. Y-I-T-T-Y. I saw it on her Instagram. She says it's shapewear you can wear as underwear, overwear, anywhere. She said it's for every damn body. And she said her size is running. And I think this is very telling. She said from 6X to extra small. She put the 6X at the front to make sure the plus madams, such as herself, know that they are welcome and well represented in the sizing. Like they're, they're being thought of first. So I was like, oh, that's good. I will admit, though, like when I think of shapewear, I don't necessarily think of Lizzo, but I would rather give my money to Lizzo than Kim Kardashian. I'm just saying. Keep it a buck. 
It launches Tuesday, April 12th at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you can sign up for emails or text if you want to get in on the official drop. So that's good. I wore some skims the other day when I walked the red carpet and they were very comfortable. But these were like the skims that the stylist brought, not like the skims in my size. And so she was like, mm-mm. She handed them to me and I was like, these are for children. This ain't gonna fit me. And so she was like, mm-mm, it dresses tight. We gotta, shoop, we gotta, shoop, suck it in. And I was like, girl, I can't. And she was like, girl, you must. And I was like, well, all right. Shout out to Germany. I've never used a stylist before in my life. I told y'all last week I was about to have a goddamn meltdown with all the work that I had to do and like finding a dress, like the stuff in my closet. I was like, I don't want this. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It was ugly. But I've never used a stylist before. It was the most pleasurable experience. All I had to do was just show up. The dress, the jewelry, the shoes, the purse, everything. I didn't even have to put my own shoes on. Like they put my shoes on me. They put my earrings on me. I was like, oh my God, I feel like a doll baby. This is amazing. I actually like searching for my own clothes. I was telling y'all last week, like Sunday afternoon, well into the night, I like to sit on different websites and just like find random stuff. I like the hunt. I do not like going to stores to shop. White people have ruined that experience for me. That whole, excuse me, do you work here? Can you tell me where the dressing room is? I'm over that shit. It's happened too many times. And most of the time I'm walking around in all black. I mean, all black in like a gigantic purse because that's like my thing. Or like a, a well-known designer clutch, which I was like, you really think I'm like on the shop floor like with this, with this bag? Really, ma'am? Okay. I prefer to just order shit. That works for me. I sound like a black person who's working from home. Like, go back to the office. Don't nobody want to do these white people microaggressions? <sighs> what else is going on? Is, that, is there more good news? Damn, that was it for good news? I watched Bridgerton the other day. I spoke about it on my Instagram page. I did not love. Like, I loved the first season of Bridgerton. That's like my background music sometimes when I'm just in the house. A lot of times I just sit in the house in like pure quiet. Like, I don't need music or anything like that. I can sit in the house in complete silence with no noise and be perfectly fine. But when I go to bed, I like to listen to stuff. Remember I told you I used to like watch Creed all the time before bed and then Black Panther. I used to watch The West Wing like obsessively. It's the cadence of these shows that like make me happy. But Bridgerton was another one. I probably watched the first Bridgerton like like start to finish and not just playing it for sleep, but just like put it on and actually watch it and be amused by it. Like, I don't know what's going to happen next. At least like seven, eight times. So I was super, super excited for season two. Did not love season two. Didn't love it. And it wasn't bad per se. I just, I was bored. Like I was struggling to get through the first episode and it was just as beautiful as before, like beautiful gowns and not even like Aretha Shade, beautiful gowns, beautiful set design, hair and makeup team, need a raise. It's visually stunning to look at. The two heroines of this season, they're brown girls, they're Indian. Um, they're both very beautiful, but the older sister, I could not stop staring at her. Like I kept saying like she has the face of a Disney princess. You walk around every day with that face. It's like perfect. She's so, so, so pretty. Absolutely gorgeous. And again, as the other young woman was, the queen and all her like fancy dresses and her hair and all of that. Magnificent, wonderful. But overall, like the storyline just like did it. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily a bad story. It plots out for these nine episodes. I was like, really, this is three episodes worth of story. The guy that you like, who also likes you, takes a liking to your sister. And you, and you can see where the plot is going in like episode one. I'm not giving anything away by saying this. It's just a matter of how they get together. You know it's going to happen, but it's a how. But it's just drawn out. And the sister is very nice. She's a sweet girl. She really likes the guy. But it's like you're not rooting for her to be with the guy because you know that the guy is not really into her. And the sister deserves better. And then you're not rooting for the guy and the older sister who have this amazing chemistry because it would hurt the sister and you don't want the older sister to betray the younger sister. So it's just like this weird like frustration. It's like you see this chemistry, but you don't want to root for the couple. And you see like the younger sister really likes the guy and she's actually everything that the guy said he was looking for. They would make a fine match. They just don't have this like, you know, kismet electric chemistry that he has with the older sister. But it's like, I felt I didn't want to root for anybody. 
I was frustrated watching. And then like, it's, you know where the story's going because it's like a romance novel come to life. So you know he's going to end up with the older sister eventually. But I was like, I don't need nine episodes for it to happen. And then when he finally does end up with the older sister, I want to say we got like maybe maybe an entire five minutes of them being a happy couple and then the show was over and I was like wait what because the first season of Bridgerton I mean them two was fucking everywhere the Duke's ass was on my screen more often than not they was in the stairs they was out in the rain they was in the bedroom I want to say they was like up against like uh what is it called the knight's sheer armor they was up against some armor and in the hallway they was steady getting it on and I was like, oh, okay, Bridgerton is about that life. Shonda is giving us all the ass. Also, I think with the Duke, it was like, this sounds bad. I ain't got nothing against white ass. Like, there's a lot of white men that I find hot. But I didn't particularly find this guy hot. Like, he's nice looking. He's not, he's not bad to look at at all. I don't want to insult the man's appearance. He wasn't giving me, like, Aquaman vibes, you know? He just didn't do it for me. So I was like, you know, we finally did see his ass. It was just like, oh, hmm. It wasn't even like, you know, well-chiseled ass. It was just like, you know, some pale white ass. And I was like, mm, melanin matters. Melanin matters. I was frustrated with this season. And not even on some like, oh, I just need to see like a bunch of sex. Because even like the first season of Bridgerton, I was like, oh, this is a lot. And, I, and that's coming from somebody who like spent five years of their life editing like the really sexy, nasty, like romance novels for Harlequin. That was like my first like real job. But I was like, even me, I was like, this is a lot. So I was like, I didn't need as much as first season, but I was like, I also didn't need like basically none at all. I wanted to love it because I love the first season so much. I'm not saying I won't watch like season three when that comes out like a year from now, but I was like, they gonna have to like spice it up somehow. Cause I don't know. This season was a miss for me. I saw a lot of people though that said they liked it. They were like, well, you know, it wasn't as sexy, but the characters were better developed and there was more, you know, build for the relationship and you could feel the tension. And they said last season, um, the heroine, Daphne, they were like, she looked 12. They were like, the, the Duke looked like a grown ass man and, and Daphne looked like a child. And they were like, it was really hard for them to get into it. And they were like, you know, Daphne was, again, she's not an unattractive woman, but they were like, the Duke looking how the Duke looked. Daphne was, you know, she just white. She didn't have like umph to her. Like she wasn't like an umph white girl and, and some bad white chicks. But Daphne wasn't, wasn't a bad white chick. I was like, mm. fair, fair. That's a fair assessment. But they were like, I felt like, you know, this one was like, you know, showing like two grown people, even though the, the older sister was considered an old maid at 26, which I was like, Kevin Hart, like, damn. I wanted to love it so bad. I really did. I saw that Atlanta is back. I didn't get a chance to watch the episode yet. I haven't heard it was good. I haven't heard it was bad. I heard it's about the first episode, at least, is about, um, remember the little black boy who was seen like hugging a police officer and, and that picture went viral. Black people called shenanigans on that picture when it first started circulating. So he was adopted by a white family. They had like two moms, two white moms who were raising them. Their moms, you remember this story, the women put the kids all in a van and then drove it off a cliff and everybody died. And there was some speculation for a while where the little brown boy who was in the viral video, whether he had survived, because I remember like they couldn't find his body for a while. I don't know if they ever did, but apparently that's what the first episode of Atlanta is about. I've heard people talking about what's in the episode. I haven't heard people say whether it's good, bad, indifferent whatever Donald Glover was at the Essence event and when he came out on stage I didn't recognize him because he shaved his head he looks nice he has a bald head he has a big fluffy beard he has a very nice looking face but I totally didn't recognize him they were like Donald Glover then he started speaking and I was like oh also was like I need to put my glasses on is anything else good on TV oh you know what I did the other day I was so crazed last week with work and like Oscar festivities that I thought Bel Air only had eight episodes. I would have reviewed last week. I mean, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. My schedule was nuts. I would have at least watched Bel Air. I thought the final episode was the one where Will asked G to find his dad and G said he would get it done. And I was like, oh, well, okay. I thought they would have brought the dad in for this season because there's been such of a buildup 
towards meeting Will's dad. But I was like, all right, well, we'll just wait for next season. And I was really happy with this one. And I thought the whole thing had been tied up. And then, you know, we'll, just, we'll see you next year. Lo and behold, earlier today, I get this notification from Peacock, the season finale of Bel Air. And I was like, wait, what? And because in my head, I'm so married to the idea of the show is done for the season. I'd seen Panama post something on Facebook about how enough people aren't talking about the season finale of Bel Air. Because I think it aired on, what, like Tuesday? I think Bel Air comes on. So I was like, why is he talking about the season finale of Bel Air two weeks later? And then I saw the email and I still didn't put it together. I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw somebody else say an actor's name in all caps. And I was like, wait, go to Peacock. Come to find out there's two full episodes of Bel Air that I didn't see. I was like, yo, I was like, I really got to sleep more, get an assistant, like something. I'm missing my good ass shows. And I mean, more importantly, I talk about pop culture, like literally for a living. So it's like not being up with stuff like that is like a professional problem. I was like, oh shit. Um, I really do need an assistant though. I've been talking about that forever. My lawyer slash like life coach therapist is trying to like manage me right now, which means like taking things off my plate that like I would usually be involved in. So like even if there's like negotiations for things, like usually I'm on the emails, so I don't weigh in or anything. She stopped me from like seeing anything. And she's like, your job is to put on a dress and show up with a smile ready to work. That's it. There was a meeting that we were supposed to have tomorrow that had to be like, rescheduled. And so she just sent me a text and was like, oh, we're rescheduling. XYZ. And I was like, oh, well, you know, what time are they trying to blah, blah, blah. She was like, I know nothing happens on Mondays or Thursdays. We'll figure it out unless you know. Oh, okay. Admittedly, it's working because I would be back and forth with people's assistants trying to like figure out a time. And she's like, why are you scheduling shit? Which I'm also like, she's my lawyer. I'm like, why are you scheduling shit? And she was like, I'm not. My assistant is. Oh, touche. Anyway, these last two episodes. Oh, my God. Oh my God. I cried and cried and cried and cried. I was like, is my period coming? It's not. I was like, oh my God, what the fuck is wrong with me? Last week's episode, something happened. I was in here sobbing. What happened? Oh, when Vivi got her fellowship. I don't know why that hit me so hard. I guess because like she just wanted something really bad. She wasn't sure if she'd still be good or she was still valuable or she was still relevant. I had all kinds of anxiety about going on hiatus from this podcast. One day I'll tell you the full story. And this is nothing like Vivi taking like, you know, 15 years off to raise her children. Right. But just like the idea of like, I'm going to take five weeks off of a podcast that I do twice a week, knowing how many new podcasts appear every day, knowing how much competition, healthy competition, but competition nonetheless in this space exists. And I'm just going to like disappear for five weeks. Will, will people move on to something else? Will people forget I exist? Like it's, it's a thing. And also, you know, I had people say it to me. I think everyone can relate to that idea. It's like, I'm trying to like pivot into something else. And you know, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Will they like me? Will I be good at it? Will I be successful at it? And if so, how long is it going to fucking take? Do I got to like spend six years trying to like rebuild sometimes? Remember Bevy Smith was on the show and she talked about that. She was like, you know, I quit my fancy job doing fashion ad sales for Rolling Stones. And she was like, it was a good seven years before I got back to my old salary. Seven years is a long time. So I don't know. But when they told her she got that fellowship, I sat there and cried like it was my fellowship. I was so happy for her. And I'm totally giving spoilers right now. The episode aired last week, so I feel like it's fair game. I won't give spoilers for the one that just aired, I want to say on Tuesday, because it just came out. G got fired. And I understand why Phil fired him. It was an emotional response and it was kind of like, I'm your boss and I told you to do something. You did something else. So I kind of figured he was. G was two seconds from resigning when Will had come to him and been like, find my dad. So he wanted to part ways because he didn't agree with Phil philosophically. So them going their separate ways, like I understood it. But emotionally, like I was like, no, what is this family going to do without G? Because what is this family going to do without G? They had three grownups in the house. I mean, and not to say that it was like, you know, one assigned to each child, but it was three on three. And then Will came and then it was three on four. And then it was like three grown people on four young people. Hilly's technically grown, but she still needs care and guidance. What she need to do is call her daddy and be like, I need $50,000 to get out this contract instead of whatever she's doing. She's figuring it out. But I'm like, girl, you're trying to play it hard and there's just no need to. I understand why you want to have a sense of independence. Like, I get it. 
I get it. But I was like, you trying to play hard. Anybody else who's not in your position wishes they were just so they could be like, hey, so here's the situation. I'm in a jam and I need you to cut this check, cut the check and get me out of it. But Phil fired G and then they had like a man hug and it was so emotional. And I was like, neither one of y'all want to go. Can y'all just go like, you know, take a walk, sleep it off, talk about it in the morning. (sighs) Like y'all doing this shit on GP, but y'all need each other. And the house needs G. Phil fired G. G left. Phil sat in a chair and cried with real tears. Tears streaming down his face. All, All manner of upset. And then went and lied to his wife. G had a family emergency and he needs to go. Sir, you couldn't tell Vivi, you couldn't tell your own wife exactly what happened? And before he left, like, G, like, you know, read him some. Phil let him get some off. He tried to talk about Honeybee, and Phil stopped him. He was like, I don't want to hear nothing about Honeybee. G backed off. But he told him, and he was like, basically, like, you have destructive tendencies. You go after what you want. Nothing's ever good enough. And you bulldoze over everybody in your family. And you have some blind spots when it comes to, like, what your family needs. You need to address. And he was like, you know, do better. Do better and don't let me down. Then they found out that Will's secret had come out. And I knew, even before Phil walked on the stage, I knew because of how calm he was. I knew when the kids came to him in a panic and of how calm he was after they told him and he was like, I'll take care of it. I was like, yo, Phil about to quit. Phil about to quit. Phil about to pull out this damn election. Phil is about to quit. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I was sitting up here chanting at my screen and then when Phil was like yeah I'm withdrawing from the election I started screaming like I didn't know Phil was about to quit even though I've been sitting in my house calling it the whole time I was distraught but also proud because he did the right thing to protect Will and to do what's best for his family Vivi had called the women about the fellowship and she was like I can't do this like I had a whole meltdown and I was like girl you talking too much you need a therapist right now you telling too much of your personal business to business people you're doing too much. I understand you're overwhelmed, but you need to find a friend. Call a friend. Not this woman you just met who's going to be like your business partner in this. That's you're, you're doing too much. Basically, she was like, my kids got a bunch of problems and need me. And my husband's about to be an elected official. And I can't let this whole family spiral. And the woman was like, ma'am, we told you 24 hours. I'm going to pretend this call didn't happen. Get some rest. Good day and goodbye. Thank you. People need folks sometimes to save them from themselves. I.E. Jeffrey. Oh, something happened in the episode. Lisa came by. The doorbell rang twice. Both Will and Carlton looked at each other. Carlton was like, where's Jeffrey? Them folks ain't never even answered the door for themselves. In the last episode, Will is cooking his own breakfast. Carlton comes downstairs and Will was like, you want some cheese eggs? And he was like, no, I'm trying to eat healthy. He goes and looks in the refrigerator and he was like, where is the food? Where is Jeffrey? That house is falling apart without that man. Bring that man back. I don't know how the Banks family going to work without G. Jesus Christ, I can't get away from talking about Will Smith. I just realized I was talking about Will Smith's show. You cannot get away from Will Smith right now. Jesus. You know what? I want to talk about the finale really bad, but because it just aired, I don't want to give anything away. But the Because my friend spoiled it for me by posting the actor's name, and I was like, is that who Will's dad is? And it was. The finale, I screamed and screamed. I cried. I cried like I didn't have a daddy that I talked to yesterday. At one point, I was screaming at the screen, and I had my hands on the side of my face. I was like, I am way too emotionally invested in fictional characters. I need to bring it down to an eight. (sighs) Now I'm sad all over again. Like, I got sad two weeks ago because I was like, oh, no more Bel Air. And now I'm, like, re-sad because I'm like, no more Bel Air. That is a really good finale where they repositioned all the characters for them to go forward for next season. Without Jeffrey, (sighs) so good so good we got one more topic to talk about before we get to will smith we got to talk about clarence thomas and his wife jenny now i didn't really know that much about jenny i've never really paid that much attention to her i knew her as clarence thomas's white wife and i don't say white in that way with any kind of derision i'm just noting that you know clarence thomas is a very like uncle ruckus type figure and he's married to a white woman which you know surprises next to no one I know more about probably his wife than I know about him. And what I know about her is old girl is wild for the night. We're having national conversations about slapping people. I don't, I don't condone violence. I do not condone violence. Even though I said of Will Smith and Chris Rock, I said the same thing that Chris Rock said about OJ and Nicole. I do not condone it, but I understand. I'm going to tell you a story about Jenny and Anita Hill. And I'm going to tell you that if Anita Hill had gone ahead and Batman slapped Jenny Thomas, 
I wouldn't even say it. I don't condone it. I'd be like, well, she should have kept her fucking mouth shut. And that would have been that. So let's go back. Let's go back to like, what, 1991? Let me go back and check my notes on that because I want to make sure I get the date right on that. I know you're tired. Sorry. I'm obsessed with that song. I don't even think Charlie Wilson sang that song when I went to see him in concert. I swear he didn't sing it. But it's like stuck in my head. Okay, yes. Okay, boom. So let's go back to 1991 when Clarence Thomas was up for the Supreme Court. And Anita Hill comes forward and she says, basically, he's a pig and a pervert. When this came out, in 1991, I was, what, like 11? 1991, I was like 11, maybe 12. I remember details from Clarence Thomas's hearing and of the things that Anita Hill was accusing him of doing. And I remember the quote about, is that a pubic hair on my Coke? And I remember thinking as a kid, like, what the fuck? And I got like the sexual connotation of it and all of that or whatever. But I was just like, what a fucking weirdo. And I think I just left it at that. And then I was like reading it yesterday. And I was like, yo, what kind of sick bastard says some shit like that? And at work, like there's a pubic hair on my Coke. Like, what did you hope would be the reaction to that? Like, did you think that this would turn this woman on and she would be like, you know, close the door, lower the blinds, let's get on the table. Like, nigga, what? There's a pubic hair on my coat. It doesn't really rise to the occasion of, do you want my arm to fall off? Like, it's just, it's not, it's not giving me Billy D. It's like, you sick fuck, what the fuck is wrong with you? So obviously, Anita Hill does this testifying. She shares these stories. This man is a goddamn pig and you need to know before you put him on the Supreme Court. Basically, the Senate is like, yeah, we heard you. He's a pig. So what? He goes on the Supreme Court. That happens. Everyone seems to move on. Your girl, Jenny, because I can't claim her. Your girl, Jenny, picked up her goddamn phone in 2010, 19 years after the hearings. She called Anita Hill's phone. She called her phone at work. Anita didn't answer. Jenny left this message. I'm reading this from NPR. She said, good morning, Anita Hill. It's Jenny Thomas. I just wanted to reach across the airwaves and the years and ask you to consider something. I would love you to consider an apology sometime and some full explanation of why you did what you did with my husband. So give it some thought and certainly pray on this and hope that one day you will help us understand why you did what you did. Okay. Have a good day. Who the fuck does that? Who, 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 who? So I'm giving you this context of who the fuck Jenny Thomas is and the type of wild for the night chick that she likes to be. Your girl, Jenny Thomas. Tell you what else Jenny's been doing. Your girl, Jenny, wild girl, Jenny. I'm reading this over on Slate. So this story about Jenny broke maybe like a week and change ago and nothing's happened so far. And Slate ran this article yesterday and they said, and the, the title is, is Clarence Thomas really untouchable? And the question comes because of what I'm about to explain to you. But so I've given you social context of Jenny Thomas. Let me tell you what she does for a living. Slate describes her. She is the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, but far more than that, she's a DC power broker. She runs a consulting firm that boasts it can, quote, open any door in Washington. And this article is written by Mary Harris. She says, um, Jenny Thomas has made herself a key part of the conservative infrastructure in D.C. For example, a few years ago, she started the Impact Awards, an annual luncheon celebrating conservative icons, as well as the movement's more obscure foot soldiers. In 2019, the luncheon was held at the Trump International Hotel. Toward the end of the ceremony, she gave an award to Mark Meadows, who was then a congressman. But within a few months, he would become the chief of staff to Donald Trump. This is where it starts to get crazy. Last week, the select committee investigating January 6th, that's when the MAGA white people went crazy and stormed the Capitol. The select committee got a hold of some of Jenny Thomas's text messages that were sent directly to Mark Meadows, who was then the chief of staff to the orange president. The messages were about the 2020 election in these texts. Jenny is urging Trump and his supporters via Meadows to keep Joe Biden out of the White House and encourages them to, quote, 
stop the steal. Slate describes the tone of her text as having the fervor of a zealot. So here's the problem. There's always been a concern, this is according to Slate, that there's overlap between Jeannie Thomas and her husband Clarence Thomas's work. Jeannie Thomas is involved with various organizations that have filed briefs before the Supreme Court, i.e. where her husband works. Until now, there was nothing that showed a direct conflict. So here's where the issue comes up. A bunch of stuff that goes to the Supreme Court about the events of January 6th, about Trump trying to steal the election. You are voting on these issues and your wife is directly tied up in all of it. It's a complete conflict. So people have been talking about Clarence Thomas needs to recuse himself from hearing any cases about January 6th or anything that would be an ethical conflict because his wife either is involved in it because of her work or is involved in it because she's like on some crazy zealot shit. Also about Jenny in January 6th, you know, she was at the, the, what do you call insurrection? She said it was too cold. And so she left before things got crazy, but she 110% was there. So according to Slate, like the idea of Clarence Thomas, like, you know, removing himself from these cases is like null and void. Like he should have done it years ago. He hasn't done it. He has no intentions of doing it. They don't think the other Supreme Court justices will tell him that he needs to recuse himself because they don't want to rock the boat. So technically, according to like, I don't know, rules of of Supreme Court justices um, that they should recuse themselves when they have like when they have an ethical conflict. The thing is, there's no one there to enforce it. So you could say like, yes, this is the right thing that you should do. But if there's no one there to like make you do it, you know, humans being humans, why? They said in terms of Congress getting involved, yeah, they could go after Clarence Thomas. They could attempt to impeach him to get him off the court. And they were like, maybe they can get that through the House, but the Senate is not going to remove him. So to put something in motion, trying to get him out the way, it's a lot of energy for the likelihood of no result. So in the meantime, he just sits there, ethical conflicts be damned, and there's really nothing anyone can do about it. The upside of this Jenny Thomas story coming out is people suspect that it's just the beginning. If you've just gone through and found these text messages, it's very likely that there's more to come. I was reading on some other page, was it Vanity Fair? They were talking more about Jenny Thomas. They had some of her text messages. Oh, girl is like kind of batshit out of her mind. Hold on, was it Vanity Fair? Let me see, Jenny Thomas. I remember one of the quotes, release the Kraken. That's the kind of crazy shit that she's been sending. I'm reading this on the New Yorker. The article is called Legal Scholars Are Shocked by Jenny Thomas's Stop the Steal Text. And the article begins, quote, several of the country's most respected legal scholars say that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas must immediately recuse himself from any cases relating to the 2020 election and its aftermath. Now that it's been revealed that his wife, Jenny Thomas, colluded extensively with the top White House advisor, that would be Trump's chief of staff, about overturning Joe Biden's victory over then-President Donald Trump. I think I said earlier there were 20 or so text messages. The New Yorker puts the number at 29. 29 text messages between Jenny Thomas and Mark Meadows, the Trump White House chief of staff. The New Yorker describes the text messages as she militated relentlessly for invalidating the results of the presidential election, which she described as, quote, obvious fraud. It was necessary, she told Meadows, to, quote, release the Kraken, (laughs) who speaks like this, and save us from the left taking down America. Stephen Gillers, a law professor at NYU, my alma mater, and a prominent judicial ethicist, he described the revelations as, quote, a game changer. He says, Jenny has now crossed a line. Gillers concluded, Clarence Thomas cannot sit on any matter involving the election, the invasion of the Capitol, or the work of the January 6th committee. And yet, no one's doing anything about it. The New Yorker notes that Justice Thomas has already participated in two cases related to the 2020 election and its aftermath, despite his wife's direct involvement in the so-called Stop the Steal efforts. A third case may soon reach the Supreme Court. Speaking to the New Yorker, Gillers goes on to say, emphasize, in fact, 
that it's impossible to know whether Clarence Thomas could actually be impartial in such cases. But, he argues, the justice has now forfeited the right to ask the public to trust his impartiality now that Jenny's texts are revealed. He should not sit in on any cases. And just for clarity, Clarence Thomas and wife Jenny have repeatedly denied that there's any conflict of interest. I don't really know how that can be denied, given how these texts have come to light. I'm just telling you their side of the story. I also think it's worth noting, because we talked about this earlier, the subcommittee, the January 6th subcommittee, the New Yorker is more thorough in their coverage than Slate. They note that Clarence Thomas was the sole dissenter in a proceeding in which Trump asked the court to stop the House Investigative Committee from obtaining records of his communications relating to the efforts to subvert the 2020 election results. That's the same committee that we talked about earlier. Everybody else said, go, ho- go ahead and do it. Release the records of communications except Clarence Thomas. The text messages that have come to light did not come about as a result of that ruling. I wonder where this story is going to go. I'm 100% sure that there's a team of journalists currently digging to find more information about her. That's absolute. I feel like this is just the ground floor of this story. I feel like it's going a bunch of places. We just don't know where yet. So we'll put a pin in this one for now. I feel like this is the very beginning of a very wild ride. Like, we know it's going somewhere. We just don't know where just yet. Do we have to talk about Will Smith? We do. Because there's so much Will Smith stuff. I literally, for my my notes notebook, where I jot down, like, all my thoughts and things I want to talk about. Like, it's literally, like, one page and a half. It's all about, like, Will Smith randomness. Let's just start and see where we go. How about that? I was talking to one of my friends last night, like Davida, Davida, who I travel with, um, who was in Mexico with me, who I go to Ghana with. We were talking last night until like one something in the morning. One of the things I was sharing with her is like, I feel like Will Smith is on the brink of becoming what say like OJ or Michael Jackson or maybe Bill Cosby or there was one other example I had, Marion Barry. That's a very personal DC example for me. Words to my parents. And I don't mean that in terms of smoking crack or allegedly molesting kids or allegedly killing your ex-wife and her friend or raping people. Not really so much on the low. It was really well known in like inside circles, but drugging and raping people. I don't mean it in that sense. But like these icons that you grow up with who seem larger than life and are exalted onto these pedestals. A lot of them are black first in many ways. And then somewhere around midlife, not even they take these terrible tumbles. They've done a bunch of crazy shit. All their shit starts to catch up with them. I remember watching OJ in that Bronco go down the highway for what felt like hours. And for me, it was just like, okay, there's like a car chase on TV. I didn't really have context at the time of like who OJ Simpson was and what he meant to America, black America. I didn't have a concept of him being this like amazing football star, not a football athlete, a football star. I didn't have a concept of of the doors that he opened going from you know, the NFL to starring in movies to being like a spokesperson for Hertz. I just thought like, okay, black people in commercials. I didn't realize like, oh, you're one of like the first, you know, athletes to start getting these like mainstream, these mainstream endorsement contracts. I had no context for it because I was too young. My parents are looking at it as like, I can't believe OJ Simpson, like OJ Simpson is being charged with killing people. But my parents were just like, OJ? Like, OJ? Whoever would have thought OJ? Same thing with Bill Cosby. Like, Bill Cosby? Bill Cosby. America loves Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby? I had a reference of Bill Cosby from The Cosby Show, but everything leading up before The Cosby Show, I knew nothing of Bill Cosby. But my parents were like, Bill Cosby? Raping people? Bill Cosby? It was unfathomable. Marion Barry smoking crack. No one thought Marion Barry used crack. And even at the time, the common story was he only smoked that crack because the woman wanted him to smoke crack. What he wanted was some ass. And he had to smoke the crack to get the ass. And that's the only reason he smoked the crack. And I was like, yeah, you smoking crack for ass now? And they were like, didn't you see it on the video? 
Maybe that's true. Or maybe that was their way of justifying the shocking scene that they saw. But everyone, there was a collective like, oh my God, Marion Barry? Now, white folks had their things to say about Marion Barry. DC black folks loved Marion Barry. And it was like, oh my God, Marion Barry is on camera smoking crack? What? Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson's accused of molesting children? What? The shock of it all. Comparison to these things, right? Will Smith going on stage and slapping Chris Rock. It is technically assault and battery. In no way am I condoning it. I told you before, I don't condone it. I understand it. But I wonder, and I was like, is this the beginning of Will Smith unraveling? Or is this just like a one-off? And I didn't think it until I saw this video footage. Obviously, we all saw the footage that aired, like, you know, the official airing from the Oscars, even from the international version, the live feed that you can actually hear Will Smith cursing. It's all the same visual footage. So somebody sitting in the audience, very close to Will Smith. And I was like, is this like an A-lister? Somebody married to an A-lister, a relative of an A-lister? Or it could have been like a seat filler. But somebody sitting maybe like two, three rows behind Will Smith starts filming right after the slap. Will Smith has already turned around and is walking back down the, the stage, the runway, and headed back to his seat. He and Jada's reactions are bizarre to me. You change the angle slightly, which changes the perspective that you're viewing it from. And it changes how that whole interaction looks entirely. Like Will goes up there and slaps Chris Rock and he walks off like he's the man in this bitch. And he comes and he sits down. Jada looks at him. I think she's smiling in the video. I'm not sure. And then she looks back to the stage. Chris Rock is trying to compose himself. Will yells like, keep my name out your fucking mouth. And that's when Jada looks at him. And then she turns back to the stage. Chris makes one quip. Then he makes another one. And he says something about like, like the wildest moment ever aired on television or something like that. And the whole audience laughs. I don't know if everyone is in shock. Everyone thinks this is a skit, but everyone laughs, like including Jada. And then Chris goes on as planned back to reading the teleprompter and talking about the, 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 the documentaries that are nominated for Oscars. Like it's bizarre. Jada never like Will comes off the stage. He sits down, crosses his legs, like comfortable, like he's in his living room. Okay. But like Jada has like no reaction. Like your husband just went on stage and slapped someone. I'm like, did Jada think it was a skit? Has Jada seen this behavior 50 million times before? So it's not, it's like a non-factor to her. Cause like the first time you see crazy shit, you like, oh my God, I've seen some crazy shit. Somewhere around the fifth or sixth time you see the same crazy shit. It's not crazy no more. It's just like, oh, that's just him. Other people think it's crazy because they ain't seen it before. They're like, what the fuck? You? Not so much. I'm telling you that from personal experience. So I'm like, I don't understand her reaction. Is, it, is this like a Hollywood thing where you're like, I know the cameras are on me and I'm just going to sit here and not make any sudden moves? I go into performance mode? That's my first thought. Second thought. Moments like this. We have these collective national moments that stir up so many topics. Because this is way more than about like Will Smith went on stage and slapped Chris Rock. It's become a commentary on patriarchy to misogyny to like the roles of wives to the roles of comedians, therapy, ego, narcissism, open marriage, uh, racism, white supremacy, what white people think, gender, the history of black women being shitting on at the, at the Oscars, the history of Chris Rock shitting on black women, black women's hair. So many issues have become touch points because of this slap. The upside of this is Everyone who writes for a living, everyone who's a public intellectual, common thinker, strings together opinions, strings together words for a living, weighs in, and there's so much to talk about. So they talk about it incessantly. And the heavy hitters come out to do their best analysis. And one of those is Roxanne Gay. Gay wrote a really great piece for the New York Times about thick skin. And she was talking about this a kind of American ideal. I don't think she just assigned it directly to black women, but she was talking about the idea that everyone is expected to just endure being insulted. There's no real issue with people who are doing the insulting. The idea is that, well, you should have thicker skin so you won't, you won't feel offended. 
Roxane Gay's piece is called Jada Pinkett Smith shouldn't have to take a joke. Neither should you. And she starts off saying, quote, this is not a defense of Will Smith who does not need me to defend him. Instead, this is a defense of thin skin. It is a defense of boundaries and being human and enforcing one's limits. It is a repudiation of the incessant valorizing of of taking a joke, having a sense of humor. It is a, re- it is a rejection of the expectation that we laugh off everything people want to say and to do to us. She asks, quote, who is served by all this thick skin? Those who want to behave with impunity. If the targets of derision only had thicker skin, their aggressors could say or do as they please. If we all had the thickest of skins, no one would have to take responsibility for cruelties, big or small. It's an alluring idea to some I suppose. Then she talks about how thick skin comes up often in the context of comedy. She says, quote, it should go without saying that comedians are free to say what they please. Long live creative license and free speech. But it should be obvious that the targets of jokes and insults have every right to react and respond. There is a strange idea that there is nobility in tolerating or better yet enjoying humor that attacks who you are, what you do or how you look. That with free speech comes the obligation to turn the other cheek, rise above, laugh it all off. We often see this when comedians want to make a joke about race, sexual assault, gender violence, or other issues that people experience in them don't find terribly funny. If you can't laugh along, you're humorless, you're thin-skinned, you're the problem. And this is a really great essay. I would implore all of you to go give it a read. It's a very lengthy piece. I'm only reading what I think are the, the highest of the highlights. I think the whole thing is a highlight because I love Roxanne Gay's writing. She goes on to conclude, no matter how thick your skin is or how much wealth, fame, and power you are cosseted, being the butt of a joke isn't fun. Sometimes it is intolerable. When you are constantly a target of jokes, insults, incivility, and worse, as most black women are, the skin we've spent a lifetime thickening can come apart. We're only human, and so too are the people who love us. I thought that was a really great piece. And again, she's not defending Will Smith. I think she's just pointing out in a, in a much more eloquent way, I think, than what I said on last week's episode. Why do comedians get so much of a pass to just be offensive and everyone's just supposed to, like, suck it up? Like, why is that okay? I've read mixed stories about the aftermath of the slap. Late last night, a story came out from the Academy. They're convening to like figure out what to do about Will Smith. They're figuring out like basically how to punish him, which I do think that there should be some punishment. Even though there's parts of me that feel I understand about the slap, I also recognize that it's, it's assault and battery. And Chris Rock has declined to press charges. Um, that's a choice that he gets to make. But something should be done as a punishment. Like, you can't just let that stand. So last night, the Academy said they released this long statement denouncing Will Smith. They don't support violence. I think they said that earlier in the day, but they reiterated it in the the second thing. And they also said that Will Smith was asked to leave and refused to go. And I was like, how'd that work? And then somebody went over to Will Smith and said, hey, you need to go. Who was the somebody and who made the call? Did the Academy make the call? Did the production team make the call? Because the production team is run by Will Packer. I don't feel no ways about it, good or bad, but I'm like, did it happen? And also, and I wrote this in my Instagram stories, it was, it changed the way that I thought about the incident. Because I was like, okay, you lose your cool, you go and do something rash, you go on stage, you slap Chris Rock, then you go back in the audience and you scream obscenities at him. You're in the heat of the moment. Your adrenaline is still going. That All of that was an ugly exchange, right? You had to know that there has to be some punishment for this, right? Like, you had to know that, like, the next obvious thing to happen was that you would be asked to leave. You had to know that, right? And then someone comes over to you and, and tells you, like, you got to go for this crazy thing that you did. Instead of just, like, taking the L and be like, I understand, and go. Because that says to me that, like, you did something rash, but you're still, like, in your right mind. You're an upstanding dude who just lost it for a minute. Okay, fine. You understand that you were likely to get this Oscar. You will probably still receive it. They're going to call your name, but you're not going to get to go up on the stage for this big moment because of this really terrible assault. That, that you've just perpetrated on someone else on the Oscar stage in this venue. You cannot stay. Most people understand a concept like that. To go over to him and be like, okay, so you, you know, you got to wrap it up, B. Like, you got to go. 
No. I don't understand that level of ego. Someone was saying to me, they were like, if a white person did it, like you would understand it. And I was like, yeah, because white people do stuff like that and they're resting in white privilege. What is Will resting in? He doesn't have white privilege. They were like, he has A-list Hollywood privilege. And I was like, that's batshit. They were like, yeah, outside of Hollywood. But he's an A-list star in Hollywood, literally sitting in Hollywood, literally sitting at like award show where he is one of the biggest fish in the room. Yeah, he thought he could get away with it. And did. Because did you see his ass leave? I was like, is Will Smith like a raging egomaniac? And people were like, have you seen Will Smith's Instagram? We just thought it was like in a healthy way. Perhaps not. That was my thoughts last night. It came out earlier today. Sources from TMZ were like, mm-mm. Nobody asked Will Smith to get up and move. In fact, in fact, Will Packer told Will Smith he ain't had to go nowhere. He could stay. What? I don't understand all these conflicting stories. I feel like America is playing like a gigantic game of telephone right now. No one really knows what the fuck happened. All we know is Will Smith didn't leave. Because 40 minutes after he slapped a man in that venue on international television, Will Smith won the Oscar for Best Actor for King Richard and walked his happy ass right up on the stage and gave us uh, gave a speech. Tied himself in with Richard Williams in, in the protection of his family and love makes me do crazy things and like, bruh, tears all over the place. Like, it's very manic to watch the speech. But I was like, also, like, I mean, you just slapped someone on like live television. Maybe, maybe the full impact is catching up with you. And also, like, this is in the middle of you receiving your Oscar, which you wanted forever and a day, and you should have gotten for Ali about a good 10, 10, 15 years back. But here we are. Will Smith is like a therapist's dream right now. Like, he's all over the place. And I say that thinking, like, yo, he had to be bothered. There must have been so much going on. But was there? Because he left the Oscars. Like, he went and took a family photo. They looked like the cover of Essence. And then he went to parties and, like, danced all night. He didn't have a care in the world. Like, like he didn't just get on international TV and slap somebody and then curse him out. I, I, I don't know what's going on with Will. And I don't know if Will Packer actually like told him he could stay or Will Packer asked him if he could leave. Will Packer's going to be on Good Morning America. He's being interviewed by TJ Holmes. I'm not going to hold the episode until after the Will Packer conversation. We can talk about it on either Instagram or Facebook. We can talk about it tomorrow on Instagram or Facebook. But I'm really curious of like to get to the bottom of what exactly happened with like, you know, the kicking out or the not kicking out. The story keeps changing. I feel like Will Packer is one of the few people that would speak on the record of what it is and what it ain't. Lupita knows what it is and what it ain't because she was literally sitting right there. Lupita could tell us all right now. Lupita ain't going to open her mouth and say shit. If she got good sense, she ain't throwing herself in the middle of this. We've seen what happens to people who throw themselves in the middle of it, depending on the person. Zoe Kravitz hopped her happy ass on Instagram. She posted a picture at the Vanity Fair party, and the caption was something like, let me see if I can find it, if she changed it or took it down. She said, here's a picture of my dress at the awards show where we are apparently assaulting people on stage now. She actually posted this twice. So she posted her first dress that was at the Oscars, a pink dress. And then she has a white dress that she wore to the Vanity Fair party. So she used the caption twice. Internet has let her ass have it, especially on Twitter. They done lit that girl up. Apparently someone who used to work for Essence, I did not call over there and verify if this is true. I'm positive without even asking that Essence doesn't want to be in the middle of this shit. But there was a gentleman who said he used to work at Essence. Let me go find the quote. Because some of this stuff is so good. To paraphrase, it just doesn't do it justice. This is what he, he tweeted. He said, Zoe Kravitz is funny. We'll never forget working at Essence and us trying to book her for interviews, covers, events, etc. And her team declining because we, quote, aren't her audience. I won't name any names, but I can. There's a lot of people in Hollywood who did that. Who wouldn't do Essence. And not just personally Essence, but any black media. They wanted like the Vanity Fairs, the L's, the In Styles, People Magazine, stuff like that. Black women. Um, who wouldn't do Essence. They call him the girl a predator. She did an interview. I don't remember what movie she was in with Jaden, but she was talking about him. She, she gave this quote. She said, there were moments when I was hanging out with Jaden and thinking, I can't believe you're 14. I have to check myself. Like what I say to you, she laughs. He has so much personality and so much swag. He is so much cooler than I am. And he's so handsome. I was always like, when you're older, you know, we'll hang out. Nope, that's inappropriate. You're 14. So they came for her on that. 
they found the article and I remember this one. She said something about like she um, didn't identify as black when she was growing up. Her reasonings for such were, I didn't like hip-hop and Tyler Perry movies. So I was like, what goodwill you had with black people? I mean, largely based on your parents, because she don't really like being black spaces like that. All goodwill for her is gone. And people are hot with her because they're like, yo, there was a point where you had nothing but great things to say about Will Smith. They went and found this interview where she like gushed about him. Like, he's so nice. He's so regular. He's so down to earth. I absolutely love working with him. Stuff like that. And now all of a sudden you're publicly throwing him under the bus after one incident. I mean, I see folks throwing like OJ under the bus after one incident. I'm like, sir, like you allegedly killed your wife. I mean, you were found not guilty of, but everybody thinks you did that shit. Like that I get like murder is, you know, very, very, very offensive. I get that. Let's see. Hold on. Zoe's currently 33. How old is Jaden Smith? Jaden Smith age. He's 23. So she was 24 years old talking about a 14-year-old like that. Girl. Talking about when you're older, we can hang out. Girl. One, you shouldn't have those thoughts. But if you do, keep them inside your head. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Saying that shit to a magazine, no less. Fabulous jumped in. I don't know what he was thinking. I was like, sir, you got to know your blind spots a little better than that. But he jumped in on Twitter. Did I keep that in my phone? F-A-B-O-L-O-U-S. I hate that, like, I have to check myself when I spell fabulous. Not like the rapper, but, like, actually fabulous. Because in my head, like, I spell it the way he does, which is obviously not the correct spelling. But Fabulous tweeted, Chris Rock is a real professional. Because ain't no way, ain't no way, bruh. So implying that, you know, if Will Smith had ran up on him, he would not have just stood there and taken the hit. Somebody asked him, did Emily fight back? Oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Years ago, you remember this story about how Fabulous allegedly fought fought is not the right word he beat emily and knocked her front teeth out remember that there was video of like fabulous trying to like fight her father outside their house i was like sir you might not want to bring up anything that has to do with slapping punching domestic violence any kind of violence violence you might just want to sit that conversation out i saw oj simpson weighed in i was like sir sir you another one sir how are you jumping in this conversation you ain't got no better sense if you don't go back to the golf course and swing your clubs and eat your food oj simpson 74 it's like you too old for this shit man he got on twitter why he has a twitter account is beyond me again play your golf and eat your food stay out of the public life the drug of fame oh my god people just cannot let it go he said will smith was wrong But he understood the feeling. I was like, sir, you're trolling us. You are trolling us. He knows everybody going to think back to him killing them folks, allegedly. I need to say to make sure I don't get sued. OJ Simpson was found not guilty of killing his ex-wife, Nicole Brown, and her friend, Ron Goldman. But again, everybody thinks he did that shit. He knew what he was doing when he sent that tweet. Folks just be popping out. Jim Carrey went on some morning TV show. I don't remember which one. He said if he had been Chris Rock, he would have woke up the next morning and sued Will Smith for $200 million. He said that video of Chris Rock being slapped is going to be everywhere. It's going to be something that defines his career. And he said for that, Will Smith should have to pay. Chris Rock has declined to press charges, which doesn't shock me. I would also be shocked if he didn't hit him with a lawsuit. He hasn't done anything as of yet. He has time. There's no rush. There's got to be some sort of consequences and repercussions. He didn't haul off and hit him back. There's got to be consequences and repercussions. And I understand Chris Rock was wrong for insulting Jada. I think he should issue a public apology to her. I am of the opinion that Chris Rock started it with making an unnecessary comment. From what I read, like the, the bar bit Jada wasn't a part of the script. Chris Rock comes out. He's not hosting the event. He's one of the presenters. He sees Jada sitting up front. It's a, it's a mostly white audience. Jada and Will are, are sitting down front because, again, Will is A-list and he's nominated for an Oscar. And for whatever reason, he just looks at this black woman and he decides, like, now on this Oscar stage with millions of people watching around the world is a good time for me to, like, you know, take a crack at this black woman 
who's not even an Oscar nominee. She's married to one. Also, somebody that he's hung out with before, maybe his broken bread with. I don't know if they've been to each other's houses. But, like, there's pictures circulating all over the place right now of, of them working together. Who They've known each other at least a good 20 years. At the very least, you've had a drink with this man. You've sat next to him at basketball games. You hung out with this man on some occasion. And then you just walk up and you just decide to, like, see someone you know. Like he said, he was like, I love you, Jada. And then, like, you know, decides to make a crack about her hair. Whether he knew that she had alopecia or not. Like, that's just fucked up. So that's why I say, like, I understand why Will punched him in the face. I understand why Will punched him in the face. I don't know if I said this on last week's podcast, but if you're going to say reckless shit to people, you either need to know how to run, how to fight, or how to brace for impact, which Chris did. Like, Will Smith smacked the Batman shit out of Chris Rock. Chris Rock did not go down. He a light in the ass dude, but he stood tall. But still, you can't go around punching people in the face. You can't say crazy shit to people and then, like, reasonably expect never to get slapped. You also can't go around slapping people and expect not to get sued. I'm just saying, it's not going to bankrupt Will Smith. Will Smith is worth like what, like 350 Chris Rock take like a good, what, like 10 How much, 20 How much you think that slap was worth? I read that Jada and Will Smith, I'm literally going through all this stuff as a checklist because I feel like there'll be a whole nother thing next week and we won't get back to it. I read that Will and Jada are talking about doing a red table talk. I think that's a horrible idea. I think at some point if Will has decided he's going to remain in public life, I was like, maybe he'll retire. Maybe he's just over this and he's going to go off into the distance. And the same friend that asked me like about his ego was like, have you seen his Instagram? Repeated to me. She's like, have you seen his Instagram? They're like, Will, Will Smith is not going off into the forest to wander alone. At some point, he's going to have to do an interview. He's going to have to explain himself, his mindset, something. He's going to have to figure out how to get into good graces. Sitting down at the red table is not the move for that shit. He needs to sit down with an interviewer that people trust to ask the hard questions and he answers them like he has some some good sense i was like i hope that 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 the smith camp has had the good sense at this point to call judy smith aka the real life olivia pope i hope they got judy on the main line they need jesus too i hope they pay whatever high retainer and fee that she has they have told her fix this fix this because this is a mess and i don't see it not getting messier anytime soon I think we went through everything. The things that we did not, we're going to end up talking about Will next week because we're going to have to talk about this Will Packer interview in the morning. Chris Rock. Oh, I didn't mention this. Chris Rock, the first part of his tour kicked off, I want to say it was in Boston yesterday. He did address what happened at the Oscars. He didn't really give any, any juice or tea or anything. He walked out on stage. I heard he was wearing all white. The audience gave him a standing ovation. They cheered wildly. He said to the audience, he said, how was your weekend? Everyone laughed. He said he doesn't have any thoughts to share just yet on on what happened at the Oscars. He said, quote, he was still processing. He said when he does have something to share, it will be insightful and funny. And then he told the audience that he had a whole show prepared for them, one that he had prepared before Sunday. So that was the show that he was going to do for that night. I heard audio of that part of the uh, of introduction, essentially. Somebody yelled from the audience like, fuck Will Smith. My dad called me earlier and asked me, he said, how do you think this is all going to play out? And I was like, one, I'm, I'm pretty talked out about Will Smith. And then two, like, I really can't call it. I really don't know how this is going to play out. I hope that this is just a one-off incident and this is not the beginning of some sort of wild downward spiral and all sorts of crazy shit about Will Smith's behavior starts to come out the woodwork. Jada's like non-reaction to that slap. I'm like, maybe she thought it was like a joke like everyone else. Um, but even when he started like cussing from the stage, Jada just sat there. The first time you see somebody flip out like that, even if they flip out at home like that, the first time you see them flip out in public like that, you're like, what the fuck? I don't think a reaction is just to like sit there. But maybe I'm judging her reaction on my reaction. And Jada's not me. So maybe I'm projecting like what I would do onto her. But I'm just like, I don't know. I think that's just a human reaction. Like you see somebody do crazy shit the first time. I don't know. It depends on how much trauma you saw just overall in life. I remember this guy once. That's when I first moved to L.A. He was just playing around. I was walking down the street and he was like, ah! And like, I didn't even fucking react. I just looked at him and literally kept walking. No reaction, didn't jump, like anything like that. And he called after me. He was like, what the fuck happened to you? Like, I've seen so much crazy shit. It takes a lot 
Like, it's not even worth a blink. It's just 40-degree day. Somebody cursing on the subway, pull out their dick at 7.30 in the morning. Nothing to get excited about. Nothing to write home about. Nothing to give more than a blink to. It's not even worth a sigh. <sighs> All right, y'all. If you have not picked up your merchandise for Ratchet and Respectable, it is available on DemetriaLLucas.com. I always talk about the Ratchet and Respectable stuff, but I never mention Cut the Check and Interested Men Act Interested. We do have that merch as well. But your Ratchet and Respectable merch, including like the logo tees and the logo hoodies and the podcast green, the hoodies and the crew necks, we have those. We have like a little bit of everything. But if you want something, go on the site, see what exists. And if you really, really want something, let me know before I put in this order for companionship, dick, and protection. So, all right. That is everything. We'll talk again next week. I got to go do edits on this cover story. It's going to be a long night. All right. Talk soon. Bye.